Today on Media Download, from Montclair State University and WMSC-FM, the latest on technology. Digital privacy is a concern. Streaming is king. It's trending now. And media issues. Let's start with the presidential campaign. The frontrunner is firmly in the lead in every national poll. What's the press's responsibility? I will not give him the credit he probably sought prior to this horrific and cowardly act. And top business headline news. It's online streaming versus Hollywood. Curated by your host, Meryl Brown. Hello and welcome to Media Download. I'm Merrill Brown, Director of the School of Communication and Media at Montclair State University. With this regular podcast, we hope to give you some of the most current and best insights into media and technology issues. On this episode, I'm thrilled to announce we're joined by a friend of mine and a great uh, media journalist, Peter Kafka, Senior media, media Editor at Recode.net, to talk about the power of streaming giant Netflix. Peter has been covering media and technology issues since 1997, when he was a small boy, when he joined the staff at Forbes magazine, making a leap to Forbes.com in 2005. He has been working with Kara Swisher and Walt Mossberg, the duo behind the website previously known as All Things D, since 2008. Peter is the host of a weekly media podcast himself entitled Recode Decode. And this February, he will be hosting the Code Media Conference in Dana Point, California, one of the big events in the media and technology world. And the conference brings together the most influential minds in media and technology. Welcome, Peter. Hey, Merrill. That's a pretty good intro. Thanks. My uh, pleasure. It happens to all be true. Um, so speaking of great truths, Peter, um, one of the things that uh, that this digital media period, I think, can be characterized by is that it's the moment of Netflix. Um, you've written extensively about Netflix. You recently interviewed Reed Hastings, who um, is CEO and founder of the company. What has What are the forces that have come together that has made this a Netflix moment? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think of I've been covering media for a long time and, and have been specifically focused on sort of video and the fight for the living room for, for a while. And there are a bunch of players in there and they sort of come in and out. And, and Netflix is, has been the one constant for really about the last decade or so in various forms. Um, and so what we're really talking about is Reed Hastings. It's his company. It's very much a, uh, a product that, that he has made himself. Um, and it's a story about evolving from from discs to streaming, and it's about a back and forth with with Hollywood, how they view Netflix. Sometimes they love Netflix, sometimes they tolerate Netflix, sometimes they feel Netflix is a threat to them. Um, which is a long-winded way of saying this is all about Reed Hastings and his ability to sort of see the future. I think um, I can keep going, or we can talk about more specific well, things. If I had said to you five years ago, when this was a company shipping discs around, that it would be the force it is today. Would you have said that's a plausible scenario or preposterous? No, no. You would have bet against them. You would have said, no, no, clearly Apple, because they were already gaining steam, or Microsoft, because at the time Microsoft was still a very important company, or Google, wouldn't have said Facebook. Um, Someone like that, or maybe one of the cable companies, that's who's going to own the living room. That's who's going to be bringing you stuff to your television set, probably over the Internet. Um, as you point out, Netflix was in the disc delivery business. They were just starting to sort of toy with the idea of streaming movies, which, by the way, was sort of still a, a very novel idea at the time. But they didn't seem to have any leverage. They didn't seem to have any real market power. Um, now that's very much the case. What is it about the combination of price and product that makes Netflix so irresistible to so many people, and at least in Hastings' view, people around the world? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's 70 million people now um, subscribing about an average of $8, 9 $10 a month. And that's an important thing to remember. It is a subscription business. So even if you are a Netflix subscriber, subscriber who doesn't find it irresistible, the, the power of an annual recurring bill is a big deal. There's still people paying for AOL dial-up, really accidentally. Um, but but it's, it's one of the holy grails of the media businesses. Can we get people to give us their credit card and allow us to bill them monthly? If you accomplish that... You, you've pulled something off amazing. And then the next trick is to keep them happy enough, or at least not disgruntled enough, to keep paying you. So to be really crude about it, all Netflix has to do is not screw up and give you enough stuff on television, on streaming to your iPod or your TV or wherever, that you find at least tolerable enough that you'll either actively give them another $8 next month or just forget to not turn it off. Um, so you often hear people say, ah, oh, there's really not a lot on Netflix, and they don't have a good movie selection, or I don't like... Uh, I don't like the new uh, Daredevil show, whatever it is. And it's kind of irrelevant. All you have to do is find something there in, in their offering that you watched a, maybe a couple times that, that month. You're probably going to get $8 worth of value. You may be consciously thinking of that, or you may be not really processing it, but it doesn't really matter because you're going to sign up. Um, and that's, to be crude about it, that's what he's pulled off. He said, for 8 bucks a month, I'm going to give you something that you value, um, which, is, which is both an amazing thing and sort of a very simple thing. Right. Um, I think I would have said, having seen Hastings in action and thought about the Netflix old model, that its transition to its current distribution form it was natural and inevitable. But to me, what is stunning is that they so quickly made the switch over to becoming a generator of really important, valuable, and costly original content. What is that just the nimbleness of Hastings at work? I think that's the case, but it also one. I think one. They uh, Netflix has been lucky. They had a bunch of hits right out of the gate. Um, Amazon, who is is run by a very smart person, Jeff Bezos, also tried to get original content. It took them longer to get off the ground. Um, it's not like Jeff Bezos is not very smart and like doesn't. It's not as if he doesn't have resources. It's it's not something you automatically happen into. Um, for me, one of the big questions is, does the fact that Netflix has been successful at creating their own or buying their own TV shows and movies. Uh, the fact that Amazon is doing that now, does this does this point out that really anyone with a checkbook can successfully get into the TV and movie business, or does Netflix and Amazon have some sort of special ability, either because of the people who run them, or this is one of the arguments you often hear, they've got this special warehouse of data and this allows them to pick hits in a way that their competitors can't. Is that the advantage they have? And we don't really know yet. And this is also one of the things that makes the, uh, the conventional TV guys just furious because they'll hear people like you and me talking about Netflix's great success and original programming. And they'll go, you've got no idea if they're successful or not. All you know is that people talk about them. You've got no data about how they perform. Meanwhile, the poor guys who run FX, the poor guys who run HBO, the poor guys who run NBC, um, they're rated quite publicly quite constantly and you know exactly or you at least have a pretty good guess about how many people actually watch a given show. And, the, um, and, and, and Amazon and Netflix don't have to worry about that. And the spotlight is really on Netflix and Hollywood these days about this very question of audience and um, the fact that they are reluctant and actually refusing to date to release meaningful audience numbers of any value to uh, program producers. Are they going to have to break down on that? They keep saying no, and, and it seems with every month um, that their argument is more convincing, which is we don't have to. We report quarterly how many people are paying us, 8 or $10 a month. Um, that's the ultimate arbiter of how successful we are. You can tell if something isn't working for us because we won't order more seasons of it. 
Uh, and beyond that, why do you care? Why do we care? Why should the talent care as long as they're getting paid and they and they feel like their product is being shown to whoever wants to see it? Uh, an interesting corollary to that is uh, I'm forgetting the name of the of the film because it's just it's in the news right now as we're taping it. But there's a giant hit at Sundance. It's the story of the Nat Turner slave rebellion. Um, Birth it, of a Nation, the right? The largest. Uh, exactly, Birth of a Nation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pro- reportedly pr- provoked the biggest bidding war ever at Sundance. Fox reportedly has won it for $17.5 million. It's a record price to be paid at Sundance. To me, the really interesting news is that Netflix actually bid more than that, reportedly. They bid like $20 million. Um, and we haven't heard the full story of this, and it's a Hollywood story, so it's always going to have multiple angles. But what it sounds like is is the creator of the film said... Yes, Netflix could pay me more than Fox Searchlight, than, than 21st Century Fox, but I want this film to be seen in many theaters, and Netflix does not have the ability to do that, and I still value traditional theatrical distribution uh, more than just being able to put something on the Internet. Was it, now, I don't know if that's an advantage that's going to hold very long for many people, but apparently that is still one of the things that traditional media has. Do you expect, do you have any, or does the, do the analysts expect Netflix to be as successful uh, outside the United States, especially with their big bet uh, in India, as successful as they are here? Yeah, that's that's the Netflix. If you're an analyst, that, that the new story is Netflix has been very, very successful in the U.S. Their growth is inevitably going to slow. They've said that um, they've, they're going to be trying to find people who are less affluent than the, their original subscribers, so it'll be a harder sell. And if Netflix is going to continue to be successful, it'll have to be internationally. Um, and so far, they've got a pretty decent track record. And there were countries like Brazil where they stumbled and have managed to figure it out. Um, same thing in the UK. The rest of Europe, we'll see. Uh, India is a big question mark. And then if you, if you really want to sort of bet on Netflix, you'd say, well, they haven't gone to China yet. And that's the next, re- and, and by the way, the next and very big last uh, country for them. So maybe they can crack all that stuff. It's a big question mark. I mean, to me, that's a more of an interesting question for sort of stock analytics. And I'm not particularly interested in that stuff. Peter, we wouldn't uh, be doing our job and trying to have a fulsome conversation here if we didn't talk about the extraordinary success. Again, it's anecdotal because we don't have any data, but uh, but of making of a murderer. Um, there are very few documentary phenomena that it seems to me everybody I know and based on social media, everybody is talking about having seen and devoured and compelled by. What do we know about the scale of the success of making a murderer? Again, in classic Netflix terms, we don't know anything about the success. Uh, we know that when they've had a chance to sort of brag about the success of their stuff, um, they haven't led with that show. Um, doesn't really mean one thing or another. I interviewed Reed Hastings uh, a couple of weeks ago at the CES show in January and asked him about that, and he was sort of saying, "Well, it's it's a it's a critical hit. He didn't wax on about its its uh, overall popularity." The more interesting thing was he just said to me. I didn't think it was going to be successful when I when I first learned we were doing it. Um, I thought this was going to be a niche show, which is interesting because, again, Netflix always prides itself in sort of having these tremendous analytics and being able to figure out what its people want to see. And with Reed Hastings saying, well, actually, this surprised me, that to me, even that admission is interesting to say, well, we can't actually always see the future. Isn't this scale? Uh, look, I mean, one, one, one thing you can tell is it's not just a chattering class show simply because everyone has got a podcast. Everyone who's got a cable news show. Um, is now trying to figure out how to get the mind of murderer people, uh, the documentarians, the, the people involved in the actual case. They're trying to get them booked to their show, which tells you this thing has got some legs. I mean, it it, it is a social phenomenon, don't you think? Or it's not. This is not just a east of the Hudson River thing, right? Well, I think it is a social phenomenon, but again, it's it's, it's you know, it is a 
classically difficult thing to figure out if you're relying on the internet and what people in the New York Times or people at my site or people on Twitter or people on Facebook are saying because those are very fractured lenses. Um, unless you're really out there polling people or you have some sort of metric like box office or even a Nielsen number, it's very hard to actually see how big a show or anything is. Um, we always fall prey to this. But it is by some definition a big success for Netflix. You and others have uh, posed Netflix future in uh, a bit of an HBO versus Netflix uh, approach. Uh, you raised the question with Hastings about HBO and whether they could get a valuation like that of Netflix. And people are talking about Netflix in that, with that sensibility. What do you see as the HBO versus Netflix dynamic going forward? There's the HBO versus Netflix fight, which is a fun one to watch because they're roughly sort of similar in size. A few years ago, HBO was much bigger. Now Netflix actually generates more revenue. Um, it depends on how you count subscribers, but they're roughly similar. Um, and, of course, uh, Wall Street values Netflix very highly, um, even though Netflix doesn't make much profit or makes no profit, whereas HBO is very profitable for Time Warner. And sort of one of the frustrations of the people at HBO and Time Warner is they're not they're not getting the same value. Again, there's a I'm assuming people who listen to this podcast don't really care about growth stock versus value stock. Um that part is less interesting to me. The part is that's more interesting is the part is sort of the question you posed at the beginning, which is how was Netflix able to sort of compete successfully with HBO that quickly? Um, where Time Warner, who owns HBO, certainly didn't think that was going to happen. Uh, Jeff Bukas famously called Netflix uh, the Albanian army, among other sort of derogatory remarks. Didn't expect them to be a real competitor to Netflix. Now he does, or to, to HBO, now he does. And more important, Time Warner, 20th Century Fox, the big studios who have been selling their shows recently to Netflix are now saying, wait, 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 wait a minute. We were fine selling your old shows when we thought we were just selling you the shows that we didn't have any use for anymore and you were going to pay us cash for. It was the best money we could make. If it turns out that you're going to compete with us and find viewers for those shows and not only do that but take the money that those people are spending to watch those shows like friends um, and then go out and build or buy new content and compete even more rigorously against us, that's really dumb. That's like giving our opposing army bullets and a gun. Um, it's selling the bullets and gun we're going to pull back from that. And that's where we're at right now, where you've got a bunch of the studios either debating or saying they're going to pull back on what they sell to Netflix. And that's quite interesting. And if the studios, the majors, and the smaller production companies decide to pull back from Netflix, that would require Netflix to do what? Ramp up their original production even further? Yep, that is that is the Netflix answer. That's the answer that makes sense. Uh, the other answer that Netflix has when you pose this question to them is, is Sometimes they'll say it privately. Sometimes they'll say it publicly. They'll say, look, they're not all going to stop selling us their stuff. Um, they can't act in concert. But it's illegal. Um, and on top of that, a bunch of them want to sell our stuff, sell us their stuff. They're, they're, not, they're not all in the same circumstance. They're not all in the same conglomerate. So someone is always going to sell us something. We will buy that. Uh, and then we're going to take the money we were making from 70 million subscribers, and we're going to make more awesome shows. It's a, it's a really interesting sort of push-pull. And just last question, Peter. Is that really the risk they face? That, you know, as you look at Netflix over the next uh, 12 to 24 months, is that, is that the principal thing that one would be apprehensive about, about Netflix's future? I, I think so. I think, I, think, I think that's the real question for them is because they can't make – they can't make all of their own programming. They have to buy stuff from other people. That stuff has to be watchable. Again, it has to go back to that, can you get $8, $10 worth of value? 
Um, again, if you're an analyst, you're concerned about how they're going to perform in India or Turkey or France or Germany. Um, I think the bigger question is, can they buy or build enough stuff that you're going to want? To, you'll feel good giving them eight or ten bucks a month. Peter, that's a, yes. Peter, that's a very provocative way to close. Um, I thank you for joining us. This is a great topic. I hope we'll revisit it on our podcast or maybe your very own at some point. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. Thank you, Meryl. Appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. Um, if you'd like more information about this episode of Media Download, you can email us at gm at wmscradio.com or call us at 973-655-3135. I'm Merrill Brown, and thanks for listening.